I hear you're going on a little journey to the big city. Yep. Uh, kind of nervous. <laughs> Leon says New York is pretty different. Oh, don't pay attention to Leon. He's never been anywhere. He doesn't have any feet. I've been to New York thousands of times. Really? Mm -hmm. What's it like? Well, there are some things you should know. First off, you see gum on the street, leave it there. It's not free candy. Oh. Second, there are like 30 raised pizzas. They all claim to be the original, but the real one's on 11th. Can't wait to see my dad. We're, we're gonna go ice skating and, and eat sugar plums. Yeah, that's the other thing I wanted to talk to you about. You know, buddy, your father, well, he's on the naughty list. No! You're taking the books back? <laughs> see, I, I see what you're trying to do here. You're trying to make me feel bad when, in actuality, you're the one that missed the payments. But the children love the books. I know that, uh, you know, I'm the one that ran the focus groups, but I like hearing that. Listen, some people, they just lose sight of what's important in life. That doesn't mean they can't find their way again, huh? Maybe all they need is just a little Christmas spirit. Yeah! Well, I'm good at that. I know you are. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. Woo! You might be saying, uh, isn't it a little soon? Because it's not really Christmas yet, you know, because Christmas is weeks away. But you're at Mosaic. And at Mosaic, we celebrate Christmas the entire month of December. So we're actually behind because we missed a week. So like belated Merry Christmas to you. And the reason we celebrate Christmas here all month long is because we want to take every opportunity we ever have to bend our hearts and bend our minds toward Christ, to think on and remember the wonder and awe it is that he has come and he has set us free, given us life. Uh, opened our eyes to light and has saved us. And though we are to remember that every day of the year, Christmas time affords us an amplified version of that, doesn't it? I mean, it's kind of what it's all about. And so why would we, given the opportunity to have an amplified version of fixing our eyes on Jesus and allowing our souls to be stirred in awe and worship toward his goodness, why would we do that for one day in the month of December when we can do it the entire stinking month? So I'm, I'm in. And the other reason I love December and the Christmas season is because for a brief portion of time in the year, it feels a bit like the world sort of gets the idea, you know? Most of the year, I feel like uh, as a follower of Jesus, I'm the strange odd one out. Like when I say, hey, there's something wrong with the world and we need help, I feel like the world goes, what's wrong with you? But when it comes to Christmas, it all changes. 
And it's like the whole world sort of wakes up briefly and goes, there might be something wrong with the world. How do I know they feel this way? Because every single Christmas movie, this is the theme. The theme of every Christmas movie is that somebody has lost their way. They've, they've, they've lost perspective. They've forgotten what matters. They're caught up in the unimportant things and it's led them to some unkindness, some grumpiness, some scroogeness, right? And then it takes some outside force to come in and reorient their perspective. Because given a new perspective, they arrive back at being found because they lost their way briefly, but a new perspective helps them be found. So all of the Christmas movies that have all the ghosts of future past and present and all that come, what are they doing? They're giving perspective. Uh, it's a wonderful life, perspective. Or the other conclusion in the uh, wondrous world of Christmas movies is that it is not perspective you've lost, it's Christmas cheer. It's the, it's the kindness and the goodness that Christmas brings. And if somebody can just bring you Christmas cheer, then you will remember and you will no longer be lost. Of all the Christmas movies that present this theme, you just watched my favorite version of that presentation. Uh, I think in the movie Elf, uh, it is not done better than in this movie to present the core awakening of our society during the Christmas season that something feels wrong with the world and we need someone to come and help us find our way again. And in this movie, of course, you have Elf's dad representing the entirety of New York City and that beautiful scene where he's on the naughty list. No, God, please, not that, right? And I love the way that the world decided to present his naughtiness. You know, uh, the children love the books and you just feel it, don't you? Like he's lost his way. He needs to see rightly again. This is what the world does during Christmas. And so I, I feel a little bit like, okay, we're sort of on the same page, on track. The problem is that though the world has got the idea, they don't truly get the reality. Because though our shadow version of the story that is obvious in the lives we live, that we've sort of lost our way and we need some perspective or some Christmas cheer to get us back, that is unfortunately just a shadow of what is actually the reality. Yes, we have lost our way, but not just lost our way, we are utterly lost. And yes, we need help to find our way back, but we don't just need help to find our way back. We need help to make a way back because even if we found it, we couldn't take it. And so we 
discover in the biblical story that though the idea is right, the magnitude of what is actually true is profoundly bigger than our little imaginations can imagine. And so what our lostness actually is, is far more terrifying than we can imagine. And what the extraordinary reality is of the one who saves us is exceptionally more awe-inspiring than an elf with Christmas cheer. The Bible story begins in the very beginning, the book of Genesis, which literally means the book of beginnings. And in Genesis chapter one and chapter two, we encounter God's revealing of his purpose and beauty in making us humankind. He creates out of nothing the wondrous and extraordinary beauty of all creation with all of its movement and its whimsy and its wonder and its, and its shape and its order and its, and its, ah, oh, it's beautiful. And in Romans, a letter that would be written later on by Paul, it says in Romans 1, all this creation is for God to display his invisible qualities, his power, his creativity, his wonder. It It is for our seeing him that he creates the beauty of creation. And then into creation, it says that he made us humankind. And though he had already established creation to display his invisible powers and beauty and creativity, he makes within creation a portion of creation, a being that he literally says, this being more than the entirety of all creation will bear the reflection, the image of me. And as creation sings to humanity, the beauty of God, humanity sings to creation and to one another, the beauty of God and God is glorified and we are right and good and free and alive. Chapter three of the entire Bible. Like, I mean, we, you literally, you have not turned but a page or two. You're like, there we are. How's it going to go? Chapter three, humanity through our ancestors, Adam and Eve, buy into an idea that when God made us and told us to to trust and, and, and to live in the freedom and beauty of the life we have with him, that, that we should not seek out to gain the, the, the knowledge of good and evil because he is enough for us. The enemy told us, God is holding you back. He doesn't want you to eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil so that you won't be like him and, and have divinity. And they bought in and they ate of what was forbidden. And instead of discovering divinity, the Bible begins to tell an extraordinary story of a horrific reality that entering into our human story and the story of all creation, something came. It started with a name and the name given to it was sin. A simple name, three letters, sin. But as we discover more and more what sin was, we discover that it is functionally far more like you might think of as a virus than it is as a set of behaviors. Something came into us and into our humanity, into our DNA, into creation, and it started having impact and effect. 
sin, this thing that came in that made us something we were not before, we did not yet know what this something was, started showing itself as the Old Testament story unfolds. And as the story unfolds, we find out in Genesis chapter 6, I mean, we're still on like the first few pages. Genesis chapter 6 verse 5, it says that every intention and thought and action of mankind was evil. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a declaration that says a human race has been born? They are now many and there is among the many this singular reality. Every thought and intent of mankind was evil. This is from God as he looks. What happens to a mankind, to a person, when every thought and intention is evil? Have you ever thought about that? Do you you ever think about a person that you might meet and we would say of that person, I want you to know that every thought and every intention of theirs is bent on evil. Would you like to be around such a person? And what the Bible says is that that was us, not someone else, us. And the only conclusion of such a humanity is that the inevitable end, the inevitable end of that humanity is that they will self-destruct. If every person is bent on self and every intention and thought is evil, I will kill you and you will kill me. And eventually I will be the single human standing until I fade into death. The human race and its story was over. And yet we begin to watch in the Old Testament an extraordinary thing begin to unfold. That God writes into the story of the Old Testament for us to see that he begins a process of preserving this human race, even though it was at its end. Through Noah and his story at the point in Genesis 6 is how he does it there. We then find ourselves uniting as a human race and we build a tower to defy God. In our division, we try to kill each other. In our unity, we try to kill God. What a human race we are. And one way or the other, every time, all we end up doing is setting ourselves up to kill ourselves. That is our story. You might be going, this is a a strange way to start a Christmas season. (laughs) Hold on tightly. Because if you cannot live in the dilemma of Buddy's dad being on the naughty list, you cannot enjoy the rest of the movie. Then we have to stand here first just for a moment. The rest of the Old Testament story demonstrates a story of this human race infected by this virus sin, wrestling and struggling as God gives them the clarity of life and light and freedom, righteousness we call it. And that clarity stands in contrast to death and darkness and bondage, sin we call it. And there we begin to wrestle and God preserves the human race through a process that we know of as the sacrificial system, a temporal payment for what sin is after. And that's, that's what we're really waiting for. You think everything I've just shared now is the terrifying reality I mentioned when we started? No, no, no. Here is the terrifying reality. What we discover is that sin, like any other virus, is actually bent on something singular. And it's another word we have that we did not know before we ate of the fruit in that garden. And the word is death. 
ladies and gentlemen, meet death. Death is what comes for us. Death is what waits for us. Death, not just in this world, but a second death after this world is the way the Bible describes it. It is terrifying when we discover that sin is producing death. Our problem, listen carefully, our problem is not that we lost our way briefly and got distracted by unimportant things. And with a little Christmas cheer and a little perspective change, we will gravitate right on back to being kind and sweet. Our problem is that we are dead because we are infected by a virus that if it hasn't already killed us, it is killing us. But the Bible says the second you got it, you were like the walking dead. Its end is always without exception, death. Meet death. So what do we need? Buddy's dad needed some Christmas cheer. What do we need? You see, that's the problem, isn't it? That we don't need Christmas cheer, so we can't have an elf roll into our little lives and make it all okay. What do we need? And that is where the journey begins. Now the scripture starts speaking. And listen, listen and watch as we meet the one who has what it takes to take this horrific, terrifying reality and make something extraordinary of it. Throughout the Old Testament, in multiple places, a whisper begins and then becomes a shout of one who is coming, who has what it takes to do what is necessary to change our dilemma. I'm not going to read them all because it would take lot, a lot longer than we have on the clock. But what I am going to do is touch on a few. Listen to this. Here's where the whispers begin. Hosea chapter 13, verse 14 and 15 says this. God speaking through Hosea, I shall ransom them from the power of hell. I shall redeem them from death. Oh, death, where is your plagues? Oh, hell, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden in my eyes. Do you hear that? God declares that though death an unthinkable reality, which is the fruit of sin, an unthinkable virus, seems overwhelmingly powerful and absolutely undefeatable. He says, let me tell you, one is coming and death, buckle up because this one who is coming ain't bringing Christmas cheer. He's bringing something else. Listen to this. Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8. Isaiah the prophet, inspired by God speaking, says this. He, this one who will come, will swallow up death forever. Can I say that again? He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach, the sin, the virus of his people. He will take away from the earth for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is 
our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. The whisper becomes a shout. In Isaiah chapter 61, Isaiah again, inspired by the Spirit, speaking as a prophet on behalf of God, speaks these words. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He's not speaking about himself. He's now prophesying about one who will come and what will be true of this one. And he says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of his salvation. A few hundred years after those words were written by Isaiah, one would be sitting in a synagogue in Nazareth, a little town in Israel. He will have just started his ministry on this planet as we know it. And he opens a scroll on that day and he reads these words from that scroll. It turns out to be the words I just read, Isaiah. I'll read them again because we should hear them often. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus read. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. He has set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And the scripture says in Luke 4, 18 through 21, and he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began saying to them, on this day before you, this scripture is fulfilled. Whoo! They try to stone him because he was blasphemous, declaring himself to be one who is a Messiah that could dare to say that he would be able to stand up against death and reign over it so that we might be free. Turns out they couldn't kill him because he was that very Messiah, but they sure did try. Jesus, on multiple occasions, uh, in multiple spaces in the gospel, used uh, an interesting phrase as he would declare what he was doing on this planet. I'm going to read from several in the book of John. Listen carefully to the word that pops up in each of these different spaces. John chapter 4, verse 34. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. John 5.30, I can of myself do nothing as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. John 17 and John 6.40, and this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. I will raise him up at the last day. And John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, 
whom you have sent. The most famous perhaps of passages that we would know is John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. And then what does it say? For he did not send him into the world to condemn the world, but he sent him to save the world. See, the first thing we encounter in the biblical story that is shadowed by the Christmas stories that the world throws forward is that there was indeed something wrong with the world, is something wrong with the world. The world is dead, infected by sin and dead. And the savior we need is one who would need the capacity to unravel the power of sin and death. That is not Christmas cheer. That is not new perspective. That is war. And so we find this one who is sent. I have come to set free. I've come to do these things. The father has sent me, but the question becomes, does he have what it takes? Listen, listen. And so scripture begins to record as we watch the story unfold, what his purpose here is and was, what he came to do and we'll watch him do it. Watch this. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21. For as by a man death came, by a man has come also the resurrection from the dead. Through Adam and Eve, virus enter, sin come with it death. You with me so far? Now also it says through one will come the resurrection of the dead, the resurrection from death, the conquering of death. For as in Adam all died, so also Christ shall be, uh, shall all be made alive. Here it begins to whisper. Jesus did not come to change our minds, to give us perspective, to help us find our way. He came to make us from dead to alive. Then comes the end, for there is an order to this. When he delivers, Christ delivers the kingdom to God the Father after, listen to this, destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is... Death. Did Jesus come to conquer, to destroy, to swallow up death? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. So let's see what happens. Watch. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, this is 1 Corinthians 15 verse 54. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortal or immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. What that simply means is that death is the fruit of sin and sin is made known by righteousness because its unrighteousness is exposed. 
the law shows us, righteousness shows us that we have sin and it only makes sin more powerful because you and I cannot, while having sin, be righteous. So the power that sin holds is righteousness insofar as we cannot be, but look what it says. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You ready? You ready to stare straight into the face of the one who we are going to spend our December being in awe of and the rest of our lives for that matter? Listen now, as the New Testament unfolds, watching the power of God as the life of Jesus unfolded in his life, death, and resurrection. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, Paul writes, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the sufferings for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works. This is not like Elf who will bring Christmas cheer and then we decide to become better people. None of this is by what we will do because what we are trying to overcome is not a brief lostness of mind. It is a deadness of soul. And look what he says. He says, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifest through the appearance of our Savior, Christ Jesus. Listen now, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. What did he do to death? He abolished it. What did he do to death? He swallowed it. What does he do to death? He has victory over it. And then it says this, Acts chapter two, verse 24. God raised Jesus up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Death couldn't even hold Jesus within its clutches if it wanted to. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. It's a weird sentence. All it means is Jesus did not save us from a distance. He did not stay in the North Pole and send a letter to dad. You know what I'm saying? It was an elf reference just in case you missed the point there. Jesus is not from the North Pole. Jesus did not stay in his kingdom and send some magic our way to come save us. He left his kingdom and came to our dark world, stepped into flesh and blood among us, lived, died, and rose from the dead. And in so doing, this is the fruit of that incredible labor. He partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Folks, what are we subject to? I just, I just read it, just in case it was a sort of felt like a trick question. 
It's not a trick question at all. It's just sort of a memory thing we're doing here. Okay. What are we subject to? A lifelong slavery. And according to scripture, the way it means by lifelong is not just the first death, but the second a eternal lifelong slavery, a slavery here and now and a slavery after our first death into our second death. I read a quote uh, fairly recently. I forget who it was by. It just came to me this morning and I, I couldn't remember. So I'm not going to uh, give credit. I'm just going to quote it, but it's definitely not mine. Um, uh, it, it said something along the lines of, if you really want to keep a prisoner from trying to escape, put them in a prison that they don't know is a prison. This is our inevitable reality. The problem is that humanity often lives in this life in a perpetual state of slavery, but we do not know we are enslaved. And so we seek no way out, but to find and carve for ourselves a kingdom within the horror of our slavery, only to die our first death and encounter our second. And this says, he who came, came to set us free from all of that. Thank you, Jesus is right. And then, and then the authors begin to write. They begin to write of what we are recipients of because the one who came is capable of what we just read. The one who came can do it. I love when Elf said, uh, after Santa said, you know, uh, it's not too late. Everyone can find their way. They just need a little Christmas spirit. And what did Elf say? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm good at that. And he is, I'll give him that. He's super good at Christmas spirit. And if all we needed was Christmas spirit, then all we would need is elf. But Jesus is good at things much bigger than Christmas spirit. And this is the fruit of having a savior that is capable of things that are unthinkable. First Peter chapter one, verse three, listen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you and I, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What he has saved us to is not just the absence of sin and death. It is the presence of light, life, and freedom in a way our feeble imaginations have no space for. We are not just saved from slavery. We are, sla we are saved into freedom. Not just from death, but into life. Not just from from darkness, but into light. Listen to this. Listen to this. Colossians chapter two, verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, the sin, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This is in the Bible. I'm just reading the Bible. I'm not making this up. Listen to this. 
This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Our debts with legal demands. The wages being death and a second death were nailed to a cross by only one who was capable of doing such a thing. Because in order to do that, he would have to conquer both sin and death simultaneously, both of which are impossible. And it says, oh, he did it. And in doing so, listen to verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Whatever slaver stood before us to hold us in our bondage, keep us in our darkness and make sure death reigned over us for now and forevermore. He put them to open shame. Colossians chapter one, verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. And who is this beloved son? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn, from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things which are whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross and you and you and me, here it says, and you, listen now, this is about you and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. God. I, I, I feel so often in these spaces, when I'm in spaces like this, and I'm not speaking for you, I'm, I'm speaking for me. I feel so often, even as I read it, even as I read it, I am disappointed in the capacity of my imagination. I am disappointed that I'm not moved more than I am. I feel it. I'm reading it. I'm like, I don't even know what I'm reading because if I knew what I was reading, I would have no space to keep standing. What we are reading here is of one who has come that has a capacity beyond anything we can imagine. And in that capacity, he has done the impossible. He has taken what was broken in us and in this world, which was sin resulting in death. And he has conquered both. And he stands as our king and our savior. Not as one who redirected our perspective, not as one who brought us cheer and goodwill, but one who saved us from death and made us alive. 
And so, so that we can give our imaginations a little chance to press in a little harder so that the awe and worship of the one who is our savior might stand strong before us today. Let me read a passage all too familiar to those of you that have been around Mosaic. So familiar perhaps that it is now ordinary and boring. And it is exactly why uh, we are reading it because When it comes to passages of this magnitude, it is a thousand times over we will have to read it before it will become for our little feeble minds something of awe. May it today be a little more awe for you and me than it has been before. Here we go. You will be familiar with these words. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We had a virus. It changed our nature, and we could not overcome it with any level of perspective or cheer. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, our sin, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And as though that is not enough that I've been made alive, I told you he didn't just save me from death. He transferred me into a life that is as extraordinary as the death was terrifying. Listen, here it is written. And raised us up with him and seated us with him, that is Christ, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. Wait for it. In kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He has saved us from death and bondage and darkness to transfer us into light and freedom. And now the life that he has given us is one where for all of the ages to come, this savior will lavish upon us kindness upon kindness upon kindness until we have no more space in our soul to tolerate any more kindness. Glory to God for that. This is my future and yours when we know Jesus because this was our Savior. And so I leave you with this, kind of. It's like a five-minute leave you. Just giving you a heads up. Listen again to be reminded. Whoops, wrong place. Here we go. Isaiah 25 Verse eight, we read this already, but be reminded. Who is our savior? What is he capable of? What is he good at? Here it is. He will swallow up death for how long? Forever, forever. 
He will swallow up death. Here it is again. We read this already. Let me read it again. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54, the last bit. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? This is our savior. Listen to what it says in Psalm 139, verses 11 and 12 of our savior. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for the darkness is as light with you. You know what that tells us? When we talk about swallowing up death and we talk about him walking into darkness and not making darkness light, but that when he walks in, darkness is light because darkness has no place. Here's what we're talking about. Wait for it. That Jesus isn't just good at redeeming us. He's not just good at bringing life. He's not just good at bringing light. He's not just good at bringing freedom. Where he shows up, there light and life and freedom shows up and there death is swallowed up and there darkness becomes light and there bondage is undone. He doesn't have to do anything. He is these things. And so for us, amen, absolutely, for us, as we enter December and we prepare our hearts and minds for this day that comes where we celebrate the coming of our Savior, that he was born in flesh and blood onto this planet for us, may this next week for you and I be a week where perhaps one thing stands out as we process our way through our Christmas season together. May that scene from Elf come back to you over and over again this week. Maybe you'd even watch Elf this week accidentally. And when you encounter the scene again, you'll remember the scene where Elf is standing there. And Santa tells him, it's not too late. It's not too late. They can find their way. He can find it. And Elf says what? When Santa says, all they need is a bit of, a bit of Christmas spirit. Elf says, I'm, I'm good at that. And Santa says, yes, you are. Remember that scene. And every time you do, don't think of Elf. Don't think of Santa. But step past that scene and its shadow and step into something we know that is bigger than that shadow. When this world was lost and sin came and death was its fruit and we met death and there was no way out, our Savior stood up and said, oh, I'm good at this. It wasn't like Elf's tone. I'm good at this. It was like the tone of a king and a warlord who stood up and said, oh, I'm good at this. Death, where is your sting? Death, where is your plague? Death, where is your power? Because the one who is life, the one who is light, the one who is freedom is coming. And when I come, death will be no more and my people will be free. We have a savior that is worthy of every bit of our worship this Christmas.
So don't you dare not stare into the totality of his capacity and the glorious mercy of his doing for us what was impossible, setting us free, making us alive, and transferring us from darkness to light. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that what we needed from you, you were more than capable of delivering. Not just capable of delivering, more than capable of delivering. Thank you that as the world shadows out a dad that's lost perspective and lost his way and his big and terrible sin is taking the books from the children and he needs an elf with Christmas cheer. Thank you, God, that you, that you were far more than an elf with Christmas cheer because we needed far more than a perspective change or a bit of cheer. We were dead and we needed a king who was life. We were bound and we needed a king who was freedom. We were darkness and we needed a king who was light. And we were wrath, children of wrath. So when you showed up, your life, light, and freedom would destroy us. So we needed a king of mercy who would make a way for us to be made alive. And you did it. You did it. And this month, as we prepare to celebrate your coming, Spirit of God, stir our hearts and minds, bend our thoughts, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, that we might worship you with all of our hearts and minds and souls and strength this Christmas as we remember who our Savior is. Amen.